The following podcast is brought to you by the Creative Arts Curriculum Team from Secondary Learners, Educational Standards Directorate of the New South Wales Department of Education. As we commence this podcast today, let us acknowledge the traditional custodians of all the lands on which this podcast will be played around New South Wales. Their art, storytelling, music and dance, along with all First Nations people, hold the memories, the traditions, the culture and hopes of Aboriginal Australia. Let us acknowledge with honour and respect our Elders past, present and future, especially those Aboriginal people in our presence today who have and still do guide us with their wisdom. Welcome to the Creative Cast podcast series. I'm Jackie King and I'm a Creative Arts Project Officer for the New South Wales Department of Education. Today, I'm excited to be having an industry chat with one of Australia's music theatre legends, having performed roles in Beauty and the Beast, Joseph, Grease and Phantom of the Opera. Please welcome Michael Cormack. Hi, Michael. Thank you so much for joining us today. Hi, Jackie. How are you? Yeah, I'm great. Thank you. I'm Good. really excited for this chat today because you're one of our national stars of my favourite genre of entertainment, <laughs> music theatre. That's what I'm really passionate about and interested in. And so I'm really eager to discuss your journey and how you came to be on the stage. So I was just wondering if you could start by maybe telling us a little bit about your youth and where your interest in music or the theatre began. Well, as my brothers and family would say, I was born to be on the stage, which is quite interesting. <laughs> but um, you know what, I, I've got five older brothers, two younger sisters. None of them have anything to do with it or anything to do with music. So really, I think in many ways, kind of just born with it. And I always, you know, loved to sing and, and did all that and used to put on plays at home, you know, for the family, <laughs> to the disgust and kind of, I think, sometimes the unwillingness of my brothers who were forced to come in and watch the show. And I'd use my sisters as the backup girls. And if, if they were incorrect in their timing or anything, the whole show would stop and the diva would walk out, meaning me. Oh, um, wow. <laughs> so, you know, I, it was definitely theatrical from the beginning. I then sang in church and believe it or not I was incredibly shy yeah <laughs> that's changed but I was so shy I used to uh, hide you know from the congregation I'd either be upstairs in the pulpit or, or have to face the back you know to be able to cope with doing it I think then through school actually which we'll get to later uh, was encouraged you know to to bring this out a little more I ended up doing a school talent quest when I must have been like 14 13 something like that I I really resisted but my school teachers were the ones who went come on, you, get, you can do this, you've got to do it. And it was one of those moments where I walked out on the stage and, you know, in the Hollywood movies where the orchestra starts playing, <laughs> you know, I heard my own voice through this amplified, you know, the microphone. And it was really, really a moment for me where I went, oh, wow, okay, what's that? And it's such a powerful thing to realise, you know, you have a, a, a talent, I suppose. And to me, it's always about an energy exchange and I could feel that immediately. So that was something that kind of, definitely tipped something in my brain to go, oh, okay, this is what I love. And, and 
really, I think at the end of the day, it wasn't the adoration. It's just that, again, that kind of energy of going, wow, this is special, whatever it is. So I went along. <laughs> I then, uh, I won that talent quest and I, unbeknownst to me, John Proper, who was the producer of New Faces. Now you're too young to even remember that, mm. right? <laughs> yeah, New Faces is like the equivalent to The Voice today. You know, exactly. Okay. And I grew I, up with Young Talent Time. There you go. It was around the same time. And Bert Newton was actually the host of New Faces. I, my parents said the next, I think it was Friday or something, um, we're going for a drive with just you and us and you should wear something nice. I was like, um, just me and we're going for a ride. This is really suspect. I mean, with eight <laughs> children, how, you know, really. Um, and I had no real idea what was happening until we pulled up at Channel 9 and I was like, <gasps> here we go. So nerve-wracking. How nerve-wracking. Nerve but something about me it was like a duck to water, you know. I got in there and did the whole thing and won that thing and then won the year and that's where it all began. And I, from then on, from 14, that was it. That's all I've ever done. Sure. So what was your first music theatre performance? First show I did was Cats. And, okay. Uh, Monk a strap? Yeah. How do you know? <laughs> Uh, <laughs> a little I, bit of reading. <laughs> oh, there you go. <laughs> I, I was kind of asked to come in and do that. I mean, because I had never thought, I wanted to be a pop star. So okay. I, I, I had no interest in musical theatre at all. They asked me to come in and audition for that. And because I wasn't primarily a dancer, I'd done a few classes and things. Uh, I went in and auditioned and, yeah, they offered me that, that role. So I took over and with Deborah Byrne as my co-star then and it was um, pretty amazing, yeah. And that kind of gave me the bug, the musical theatre bug. I'm familiar with Cats, but I don't know the characters that well. Is Strap a, a heavy dancing role? No, it's not actually. It's, it is more the kind of young prince, if you like. You know, he's okay. the head of the street gang. And, yeah, right. Uh, <clears throat> the one that kind of is, yeah. It's, it, it, <laughs> Cats is a, a very... Uh, particular taste in its story. I mean, the music's amazing, but uh, the T.F. <laughs> Eliot poems are sort of drawn together through this one song, Memory, that um, Trevor Nunn and Andrew Lloyd Webber went away for one weekend and wrote. And now I think it brings in possibly the most amount of money of any song in the world. The song Memory. Yeah. The song Memory. Yeah. My son is eight and he does a bit of dancing and he absolutely loves Cats. Asks yeah. to, for it to be put on all the time. I'm not a huge <laughs> fan of Cats myself. Um, <laughs> I can't say anything. <laughs> <laughs> but he loves it. When I was in about year eight, I saw you in Greece, actually, as Kaniki in the Arena Spectacular. Um, That's it at the Newcastle Entertainment Centre. Did you enjoy doing like a big production that in those arenas like Greece was? You know, it was really quite amazing because uh, we had a great cast with that one and we were meant to do, this is to, to explain to whoever's listening, uh, it was a, an arena of 10,000 people and each week we'd do open somewhere new. Within Australia, we were meant to do one tour of that around Australia and we ended up doing four. It was so hugely successful. And yeah, what a, what a fantastic gig for me. I mean, it was just quite wonderful. Danny Minogue played Rizzo and I got to play the naughty Kinnicky. And uh, as you'd remember, you know, my car went up, parked and then actually flew into the air. And turned yes. Around. Yeah. And I had a hundred thousand fiber optic lights popping out of it. And I was on the bonnet. I don't know how we'd get away with it now. Um, doing go we learning on the bonnet, you know, standing there with no, yeah. with no, no harness. Nothing. <gasps> There's no um, way you'd get away with that now. Oh, and it was so it was so thrilling actually. That was a really, really amazing show for us. Yeah. 
one of the highlights of that show was Anthony, Anthony Warlow. Warlow coming down from the top. Did he have to sit up the top for the whole show? No, for the second act he did. Yeah, he'd yeah. go up with the band. Remember, they used to go up on the record play on the record. Okay. So they flew up, so he was up there for, yeah, the whole of the second act. Yeah, wow. And just you fly down and, as an angel and do that one song. <laughs> Amazing. I know that was really cool. I really loved that, and I think for me, as a so I was in about year eight, I think at the time at school, that was like a, a really big, big inspiration for myself yeah. as as a performer and and what have you. In talking about inspiration, my husband is also quite into theatre, and he saw you in Joseph as the Pharaoh, oh, yeah. and he always talks about the bus trip home from school it was a school excursion and the bus trip home and all of the girls talking about Michael Cormack is as the pharaoh in Joseph <laughs> yeah look you know when I was younger obviously they, they were the kind of roles you know the, the the juvenile lead you know naughty boy kind of you know, roles which is great you know that's kind of the the sex symbol of the show if you like again what an amazing production that is and to work with the incredible Tina Arena who's one of my great mates yeah, just that quality, David Dixon, it, it, you know, it was just beautiful. And, and I, I love that show. And, you know, I saw it in London last year. Uh, mm. They've done a new production and completely kind of changed it. And Jason Donovan was in there as the pharaoh. And it was fantastic. It was really, really cool to see that reinvented again. So I'd say, you know, keep your eyes out. That one might be back very soon. Oh, really? Okay. Obviously, I can't not talk to you about working with Hugh Jackman in... Beauty and the Beast, where you played the Beast and won a Moe Award for your role in that show. One of my favourite songs is If I Can't Love Her. her. Such a glorious song. Can you talk about being in Beauty and the Beast? Well, you know, I suppose in a way in Australia, that was my, you know, big break as such. And I remember going to the auditions. And again, it was one of those moments, the pre-audition where the Australian uh, casting team you know said you know they want they wanted me to come in for Gaston because I'd played all those other roles and you know I I said no I want to do the other one no like what other one and I was like the beast and anyway I went in to sing the material and just try it out with them and again that was like the orchestra coming in and we all stopped and looked at each other and went oh yeah so it was that that was amazing to get that role and of course beautiful Rachel Beck played Belle and now she's still still my dearest friend and you know I'm Godfather to her daughters. We're very, very, very close. And the young guy then who was unknown, who'd just finished Corelli, was Hugh Jackman. So it was Hugh's first musical ever. You know, we all became very close in that. Bert Newton was in there. We had an amazing, again, what an amazing experience to create. This was the first show out of America. You know, they'd, they'd only opened Broadway and I think LA. And then we, we came, came here and did the huge production here. Now that, that was lavish. It's incredible. I mean, to have that form of production and there's something very, very special about that because I've come, in a way, it was the first huge kind of lavish, uh, multi-million dollar production, you know, we'd had since Phantom. You know. Like the Phantom, I was in, can you believe it? It was like three hours of makeup every show. I can believe that. To get yeah. all of that on and then it came off. Um, How- you didn't the magic for me to become the prince on matinee days. I'd go straight back into makeup. <laughs> So it obviously had to come off quite quickly too, mid-show, and I'm sure you're not going to reveal the magic of how that happened. But... I have never even told my mum. Oh, really? No. <laughs> because, look, we were explained to at the time that, you know, illusion, magic is magic, and, you know, it's the best to keep 
you know, keep it where it is. It's, it's an illusion and it's created for that reason. And really, I think that particular, I was going to say trick, it's not a trick, but that illusion is, that's one of my favorites ever. I went to see the show um, on Broadway before I started and I was like, wow, how am I going to do that? <laughs> I don't know yeah. what they're doing, but, and for those of you who didn't see it, it's uh, the beast basically levitates off the ground and then spins me there and then turns into the, the handsome prince. The handsome prince. And comes, ele- you know, levitating down. So it's really something, isn't it? It's, yeah. It is magical. It's not the only show where you've had a bit of magic, though. There's yeah. a, a bit of magic in Phantom, too, where he does his disappearing trick. All of that, yes. <laughs> so I was reading your bio, and did you play the Phantom and Raoul in two different productions on the West yeah. End? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there were different times, obviously, yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> one was a lot younger. When I, <laughs> you know, when I first went in, when I first got to London, I auditioned for Raoul in Phantom of the Opera and there were a couple of other things I was auditioning for at the same time. And I eventually got, yeah, asked me to do Raoul. So that was a really exciting time too because I think I was like the second year in. So it was really fresh and it was the time where people would still queue around the corner and, you know, fly in from wherever in the world to come and see it. You know, so it was pretty amazing, very exciting. I watched a documentary once on Phantom and they said in Australia that chandelier comes down the fastest in Australia than it does anywhere else in the world, apparently because our WHS laws were a little bit looser (laughs) than anywhere (laughs) else, which I guess, you know, you were able to fly on a car with no harness. In nineteen ninety-eight. Um, would you say that that the you think the chandelier comes down fast in Australia? I don't, I don't know, because uncannily I never did the production here. You know, Marina okay. Pryor and I often work together, um, and not on Phantom, obviously, but you know, we'll sing the duet from Phantom and things. And because uh, I only did it in London and she and she did it here. And we um will often we sing the duet all I ask of you, and it was so drilled into us that the timing's exactly the same whenever we sing it and you just you cannot divert from that after doing it for so long because there's right. a particular way that the phrasing goes and all of that so you know the first time we sang it to you I, I could do it in 10 years time and do it exactly the same way because <laughs> it you've quite rehearsed it so much yeah what would you say some of the comparisons are between the industry here in Australia and the industry overseas or the West End where you've also worked uh comparatively well look our Obviously, the business is larger, especially in musical theatre on the West End and Broadway. Well, it was. I mean, and it will come back. Uh, it, it's a lot larger. So it, there's more competition, I suppose. And there's also, there are more performers. And there's more of a sense, say, of family. I mean, of actual, the industry as such, because there are obviously more shows. So within the West End, you can go to, say, any bar after a show or specific bars where you know there's going to be other performers you know and that's always a, a great fun here uh we have a beautiful industry and but it's just a lot smaller we don't have as many shows either so that can make it slightly more difficult i mean if you're in the west end there's more chance of getting a job because there's, there's more shows you know um, is that right yeah yeah we don't because we, we only have a few productions going at a time and if they're all cast they're gone Whereas, say, in the UK, you've got then so many touring versions and the smaller shows and fringe shows and, yeah, many more opportunities as such. I wouldn't have thought of it like that. I would have thought 
it would be harder. Only I, I don't yeah, know why. I just harder. thought it would be. Yeah, but there is more, and so there are more people, you know, vying for the job as well. But yeah, but there's a lot more, more to be looked at. So you obviously have done a few Andrew Lloyd Webber shows, <laughs> and I saw that you were in the Andrew Lloyd Webber the Australasian tour of his yeah. concert. How yeah. was that? And what songs in in what shows sort of did you represent in that tour? Well, Uncannily Phantom, <laughs> because it was also a mashup of many things. So um, Sunset Boulevard, which is fantastic. I never never got to play that role. But there was a combination of many things. So we would all, I think there were eight of us, so it would all combine and depending, so it sort of mashes up all the shows. But yeah, it culminated in Phantom, of course, being the most uh, prolific and famous, I suppose. So yeah, it was great. And it was great fun. I mean, beautiful cast yet again, great singers. And you know, and I've kind of done quite a bit of work, you know, closely with Andrew. Sorry, Sir Andrew. No, it's Lord Andrew now, isn't it? Oh, I'm not Lord sure, Andrew and Lord I wouldn't want to say just mm. <laughs> so I'm not disrespectful. But yes, he has been yeah. knighted. Yeah, yeah, it, it, it's been great to you know sing his music. Actually, I had a an occasion where I um, was in London and I had auditioned for Phantom, and they asked me to come to Andrew's apartment. Would you do that tomorrow? And I was like, Yeah, fine. What do I need to bring? They said nothing. So I turned up, 24 years old, bought a new suit. You know, it's very nervous. Anyway, I got up into his penthouse and uh, there's he sitting there and 10 people on the couches. And I was like, what's this? And he said, Michael, what do you want to sing for us? I said, well, I didn't bring anything. Uh, and he said, don't worry. Well, you know, do you know this from uh, Evita? Uh, do you know this from Jesus Christ Superstar? Uh, I didn't know any of his songs. I mean, how embarrassing. <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and then he said, oh, don't worry, just sing this and um i said well i don't read music and he's like oh god this is looking real good isn't it i was the first person to sing love changes everything so they wanted somebody to sing it and test it out and um yeah so i was the first one to do oh wow yeah that's funny i was going to try and get to talk to you about doing blood brothers because oh, yeah. blood brothers is one of those really special shows to me i've done it twice in the amateur theater scene but one of the productions i did had John English in it and when oh, yeah. you say you were asked to perform one of his songs and you just didn't know any of them <laughs> I, I got into a situation once we were we were performing with John to promote a show and John called me onto stage to sing Six Ribbons with him to do the Tourlai bit and I didn't know it and he goes but everybody knows it and I'm thinking You're like, no. Mm, oh, no I'm a bit younger than that <laughs> and I didn't know it so yeah it's hard when somebody expects that you just know the songs because they're out there I assume I should have been a little clever when I was going to Weber's <laughs> apartment you know I should have kind of known his songs but again I wanted to be a pop star at that time I was over right. there you know to get a recording contract I want to be like Jason Donovan so did you ever pursue that pop star side of things or did was theatre just ended up being your calling well, uh, at that age, yes, I did have contracts with EMI in London. And, you know, it, it's always difficult, that sort of thing, because you can record, you can be under contract and nothing happens. And that's uh, part of the illusion of the business that people don't see. You know? uh, but then, yeah, the musical theatre did sort of take its bug. And it really is a bug because within that you create families, as I was saying before, and there's something very special about that. 
I would tend to agree. You get so, like I've only ever done sort of amateur and a little bit of pro-am, but like you, you get so close to the people that you are spending all of that time with. Yeah. So, yeah. Before we go on to schools, the last thing I wanted to talk about is you're doing your own cabaret show, The Music of Bert Bacharach. And I found yeah. that interesting to read because I feel like a lot of people who do sort of music theatre and at their they're taken with the music of Bert Bacharach and often do sort of cabaret shows. What is it about Bert's music that has inspired you for your one-man show? Two things. It's storytelling, which is, I think, really important. And within theatre, that's what we try to do, you know, is tell stories. Uh, and he does that within one song. You know, it's, there's always a, a beautiful story or a sad story or whatever it may be. But it is about storytelling. And melody-wise, it's really just entrancing. And actually, it's a lot harder to sing than a lot of people think, you know. It's a, and I, I do love background stuff. The other one, you know, that I love is Sometime, you know, Stephen Sometime, because again, it's <laughs> also very difficult. <laughs> yeah, very difficult. I and mean, just incredible writing for a singer to be able to get your teeth into, you know, and it's got something about it that's, uh, again, about the story, you know. And if mm. you can get that across, that's possibly, you know, the best thing that we can do as, as, as artists. Do you have a favourite role that you have done at all over your career? That's always a hard question because they're all so different. You know, they're mm. all really different. I do love, obviously, the big meaty roles like The Beast and like Phantom. I think the favourite is the next one. <laughs> the one that's, coming up. That's true. Have you got one coming up? No, not at this point. Oh. Nothing I can talk about. Not that you can... Oh, fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> fair enough. Last question before we get on to schools. I saw you've done some Royal Command performances and I'm a real sucker for the Royals and, and watching different shows about royalty. I'm actually watching a whole series on the Tudors at the moment. Okay. What was performing in a Royal Command performance like? Uh, like any kind of concert or whatever, things are planned for you, you know, or you're in collaboration. It just depends on what you're doing. You know, at that time I was singing part of Les Miserables, which I'd, I'd never actually got to do that show either. Uh, and then there was one other time where I did, there was a poem, an unknown um, author had written a poem, Do Not Stand at my, wave and, my Grave and Weep. I was approached by people to record it. They'd written lyrics, um, which, you know, I, I did dub the funeral song because basically that's, it's the most popular poem at funerals. So uh, for some reason I got to do a Royal Command performance with that one. So that was pretty amazing. Yeah, and the full orchestra, it was gorgeous. You know, Royal Albert Hall, which is again, you know, you just, you, you feel, I suppose, the history in those places. And it, because mm. of its reputation, you begin, you know, that can make you nervous alone, you know? I bet. And so many amazing people have sort of mm. stood on those stages to then also do that yourself. That would be amazing. Yeah. It's like when I did the Melbourne Cup last year and somebody said to me, oh, you know, you shouldn't be nervous. It's only... Only 8 billion people you're performing to. <laughs> I was like, okay, okay. Take a deep breath. <laughs> <laughs> that would make me more nervous. <laughs> so some of the steps that you took to, to get to your career, you said that you had never really done like an acting school or a music theatre school or anything like yeah. that. So you said you did New Faces and then moved on from there. What were some of the steps that you sort of feel were, you took that were important to be having the career that you've got today? You know, again, I went along with nature, I suppose. And 
instinct. I left school probably too young because, you know, at that point I was being offered all of these things because uh, I started to do regular television like the Don Lane shows, Brett Newton shows, Mike Walsh shows, you know, it was, you know, and I was the, the young boy, you know, with this you know, big old voice. And so I, I then was offered cruise ships, things like that. So I left school, you know, probably too young and went off and was in showbiz and kind of learned on the boards, you know, and then, I suppose it's always about connection and yet not even that, you know, it's just about knowing what's going on. And cause even going over to London, I knew nobody. And they used to have, this is old school. You know, they used to have a paper called the stage and it would have all the auditions written in it. And so you'd look it up and, and you know, then just turn up. But now it's a very different process. <laughs> you know, I was, I remember standing in a, in a line with 2000 boys for a musical called time and you know, I got to my place in the queue and then they said, oh, we like you. Can you come back this afternoon? And I had an audition for Les Miserables the same day. So I had to have two different outfits, obviously. One was a rock star and the other was, you know, a Les Mis look. And I thought, I've got to get changed on the way. So I went up to Charing Cross Road and I was walking along and thought, where can I get changed? I saw a phone booth. And I went, ah, Superman could do it, so could I. So <laughs> I a bit back. like Superman. Totally. <laughs> I ran back and forth, you know, two auditions all day. And anyway, I got both gigs, which was quite nice. Yeah. <laughs> oh, so were they on at the same time? Did you have to make a choice? Or? Yeah, 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 yeah. And so I went with time because it was more of a rock musical. And I, like I said, I wanted to be a pop star. But uh, okay. yeah, it's all interesting. <laughs> <laughs> that is interesting. So we'll get on to schools. Did, you said you left school young. Where, at sort of what age did you finish school? 16. 16 so that's sort of year nine year 10 year 10 I think year 10 okay so when you were at school did you do any sort of creative or performing arts subjects like did you study creative or performing arts as a subject at school well what we had it was music or drama okay that's what it was called and I suppose in a way they were my savior you know because I obviously they were my favorite subjects and they were my favorite teachers but like, uh, again, I would I'd sort of stress that I, w- I was really shy. You know, my two teachers, you know, Judy Wardale, who was drama, and Carlene Selverson, uh, who ended up becoming friends later on, they were the encouraging force that would actually have even made me go and do that talent quest that night. You know, they were the ones going, come on. They obviously saw talent and they try to encourage it and make it grow. Do you remember much about doing those subjects at school? Do you think that kind of inspired your career? at all or or started that aspiration to to be on the stage for sure i mean of course and i mean it was the, uh, their encouragement and i think they basically saw talent so then took me aside a little bit and kind of started to you know, to work on that you know more not privately but you know a little more um intensely so that definitely helped and so the school ran the talent quest is that was that something that was a part of their arts programs did they run the talent quest annually or did they do other sorts of creative arts programs outside of the classroom there weren't any other kind of productions or anything like that at that time so they didn't Um, do musicals no um no nothing like that back then i've been back and judged that talent quest you know on three different occasions i think have you yeah yeah oh that's lovely what are your thoughts about what teachers could do to sort of help 
prep students into an acting or music theatre type career like you've had? What what sort of skills do we need to really instill or or values do you think we need to try and instill in our our children if they were to try and pursue a career in acting or music theatre? Um, number one would be resilience because, <laughs> you know, it, it is not easy. I spoke to somebody just the other day who she's from New York and she said, I really, really wanted to be musical theatre. And she said, in the end, I just could not handle, you know, the rejection. And we really have to begin to see it not as a rejection, but even at my age, I mean, it's still difficult not to see that. Why didn't they want me kind of attitude? And sometimes it is really just about perhaps not being the right fit for the other cast that they have in the, in, in the show. And also having to put, you know, bums on seats as such. So it can, you know, they'll have to sometimes have somebody who's on TV to be able to create an awareness. So resilience is one of those things. I mean, or just perhaps a, a reality of what it is, no matter how talented they may be, it's not always a guarantee that you will, you know, make it or however you want or make a living, you know, really. So I think also, another set of skills would always be how else to survive within the industry. I was so gung-ho when I was young going, I don't need to learn anything else because, you know, this is all I want to do and I believe in myself. And that's all true and that's all great. But I think at the end of the day, I would advise anybody younger to prepare themselves for that financially and all of in those ways. And that doesn't mean you have to do something else. That would mean the clever way of looking at it would be to do something else within the industry, you know, so that you have that backup, but you're still passionate and you're still in that side of the arts. I think something else they could be looking at or preparing, of course, is passion and hard work. It's, it is really hard work. Eight shows a week is not for sissies, you know, it, it hurts. And, <laughs> and it's hard. And I remember one of the young girls once I was in a show, I think it was Mamma Mia. And she said, oh, I think, I've, you know, I can't do the last three shows this week. I'm tired. And I said, oh, darling, <laughs> you don't get it. We're all tired. We're all tired. You, you actually get to a point of exhaustion. And that is where the training comes in. That's where discipline is one of the most important things in, in our industry. Even though people may see the glamour, it, that glamour is, again, part of the show, which is not, not necessarily the truth. And so it, it's discipline that, you know, and hard work. And it, that needs to be stressed as well, that it's just an, a, an easy an easy take. That is really important, isn't it? You're not going to just waltz into a lead role most of the time. You might be very lucky, but you do have to work hard. And I think that is getting that used to, I don't want to say get used to rejection, but be able to to deal with it. Handle it. it. You see, that's another thing which has, you know, now becomes more of a a mental health issue within our business. And particularly during COVID, uh, it's, it's been brought to light a lot further. And it isn't an easy business within that way. So I think, again, there's another thing that can be looked at is keeping a healthy attitude with that and a healthy mental state with that because there is kind of 90% chance, and I I really shouldn't say that, but that you're not going to get every job you go for and that it's not going to be fair. That's definitely one of the things. Don't expect it to be fair. And I suppose this is like most of the world in many ways. But uh, there will be rejection and it will sometimes, you know, be really tough to deal with that. And then you'll see perhaps the girl that got the job and you know you're better than her. It's all of that that, that just has to be, you have to have a healthy take on that. So that's a lot of preparation that could be done. Um, I don't know exactly how, but I think that's a really important issue to look at. 
Yeah, that is important. And I, I do love that piece of advice. And just to go back a little bit, you were saying about having other ideas of things that you could do in the industry or other takes of things. And I think that's really important, particularly given the day and age that we're in, like we've yeah. just been through a massive upheaval with COVID and things like that with yeah. millions of artists out of work mm -hmm. and having some kind of other facet to keep bringing money in or just to keep yourself sane That's must it. be really important. And, you know, on the other flip side of all of it, the other thing that can be, can be taught, you know, is to be in your joy with it, to be in the passion, because that can also, if we remain in that place, you know, the rejection or anything else isn't as difficult. If we actually remember the joy and then the, the technique and the work and all of that stuff, it's like any artist, you know, when you're in that place, that's, you know, that's where you shine. And to try to keep the individuality within that is really important too, because uh, when people are casting, they don't want two of the same, you know, so <laughs> don't feel True. like they have to be like everybody else to get there. In the steps that you took to get there, did you used to have any kind of like singing lessons or dancing lessons or anything like that outside of school? Sure. It wasn't at school. No way. I mean, I would have been again too shy at that time. But when I was working then I started to you know look at different ways with the voice like particularly in London with Phantom because it was slightly more operatic in style I went to a vocal coach who happened to be an opera singer's coach and she was Australian actually Janice Chapman and she was amazing you know so I then throughout my life I've gone to different kind of styles of teachers and particularly for a certain role you something you may have difficulty in you know approaching or high notes or things like that or you know even mental blockages there are certain grabs and I think that's a great thing in life to learn from whoever you can and yeah so that's that's been amazing dance wise I did a very brave thing I think when I was 18 and I saw this summer school thing advertised and it was Barbara Warren Smith so I enroll and go and turn up and they're all professional dancers and I haven't put two feet together and for some reason I just I was determined and I kept going back and completely embarrassing myself. I think Barbara then went, oh, wow, you know, this kid's got some kind of determination. So she then said, okay, you can come in and I'll give you private classes every morning and we'll get you. And I just worked and worked and worked and worked and worked, you know, and it hurt, but it was, <laughs> I just thought, okay, here we go. Uh, I don't know if I'd be brave now, but. To do a, a dance summer school. Oh yeah, forget it. <laughs> I can sit there and watch him point now. You know, that's about it. <laughs> Thank you for giving some of that advice to teachers because I think it's really important. Sometimes, like teachers, sometimes try and like reach out. And you said that you've you've been back to your old high school to going to say adjudicate, judge, yeah, um, quests, yeah. yeah, adjudicate or judge different talent quests. Is there any sorts of ways that teachers may be able to reach out to artists like yourself or, or different music theatre artists who might be able to enhance something that they're doing within their school? Well, of course, you just ask. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's how we ended up here, isn't it? Exactly, exactly. And you know what I find, and I've, I, I found this throughout my life, and especially now, I think sometimes when you're just brave enough to ask, I mean, it's just like, there are so many generous people in the world and especially who are ready to impart their knowledge or their wisdom. And if it's going to inspire somebody, more than happy to do that. 
Yeah, that's beautiful. And you're right. And I think particularly in our creative arts sort of world, there are so many generous people. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. Well, I'd like to finish up now with my final fast five questions. Oh, is this going to be scary? Uh, not too scary, I don't think. I'm pretty confident you'll be able to answer them all. And they tend not to be super fast, but we'll see how we go. So what high school did you go to? (laughs) I can't answer that one. St John's (gasps) College standing on. Okay. So in (laughs) Melbourne, in Victoria. Yeah. Fantastic. And Oh, is, this might be a toss-up. Which was your favourite subject and why? It was music because I suppose it allowed me to escape. And your favourite teacher and why? Uh, be Carlene Selvison because she taught music. <laughs> <laughs> favourite music teacher, fantastic. Yeah. What is your, I feel like I already maybe know the answer to this, but your best school achievement or your, your, your most fond school memory? Yeah, it was winning the talent quest. Winning that talent quest. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that seems like it was really the starting point for everything for you, yeah. which is yeah. really, really kind of cool, I think, for our teachers to be able to hear that just that one moment mm. has turned possibly is what it's been that's turned your life into what it is today. Absolutely. Yep. Can answer this whichever way you like. One takeaway, one takeaway from your schooling experience, or a final piece of advice for our creative arts teacher is to inspire. And I know that that's, uh, of course, what what all of you will be doing. But I think that's the most important part of it: to inspire and to allow the students to be the biggest and and brightest that they can be. Thank you so much for your time today, Michael. I really appreciate the expertise that you've shared with us and and also just the stories. It's really nice to hear about sort of the back end sometimes of of shows that you've seen and and you've seen the wonder on stage. I'm sure going up on the bonnet of that car was pretty scary, but it looked amazing. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it's, it's really nice to have had that chat. So thank you very much for sharing that expertise with us. It's my pleasure. Join us next week where we talk to Australia's latest music theatre composing sensation, Eve Blake, where we discuss her hit musical, Fangirls. This podcast was brought to you by the Creative Arts Curriculum Team of Secondary Learners, Educational Standards Directorate of the New South Wales Department of Education. Join us on the Creative Arts Statewide Staff Room as a source of all truths regarding New South Wales curriculum. Or you can follow us on Facebook or Twitter at Creative Arts 7 to 12 or email us at creativearts7-12 at det.nsw.edu.au. The music for this podcast was composed by Alex Manton and audio production by Jason King.